I love this youth group. I was just in New Jersey with another youth group. You guys are way better. So just saying. Um, I'm a fan of you guys. And one of my hearts for you guys, I have multiple hearts, I guess. My heart for you guys is I've always thought, you know, I don't think of this as babysitting. Uh, I don't think any of the counselors do either. We think you guys are really the future, not only the future of the church, but you're the present of the church. A lot of the world is looking to people your age for leadership. Um, God is doing something really fresh in your guys' generation, and I think it's our responsibility to teach you guys and train you what the heart of the Bible is towards lots of things that are going on in our world. So that's why I'm glad we're doing this question series, because I think God has a lot to say about issues that are going on in our world right now. And we always kind of grow up looking at things from a certain perspective. I know I definitely do. And I think it's really important to kind of take a step back and, and look at the way we view the world and say, okay, I know how I grew up viewing this, but what does the Bible say? What does scripture actually say? So tonight we're talking about reaching the unreachable. And um, I was going to talk about lots of different types of people, but today we're going to just focus on Muslims. And I would say as a Christian, even though we know that we're called to witness to everybody, Muslims included, I think there's a hesitation. I think there's a fear. I don't know if you guys have ever felt that way, but I've been afraid of the idea of witnessing to Muslims. Um, The thought of trying to tell Muslims about Jesus has terrified me. And um, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't even really think like it'll ever happen. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, when am I ever going to run into a Muslim? If I did, that would be scary. I think a lot of us um, feel like the person asking this question did. I don't know who sent this in, but the question is, how can I be a witness to Muslims? I'm scared of them, so it's difficult. I think it's a great question, and I think the first answer from Scripture that I want to take you guys to is just the reality that perfect love casts out fear. Um, I think my first response to this question, how can I be a witness to Muslims, is to talk about what is the, one of the number one phrases of the Bible, and that's fear not or do not fear. The phrase do not fear is literally, it's one of the most repeated lines in the Bible. God says all throughout the Old Testament when he calls Israel to do something great, he says, hey, do not fear because I'm with you. Jesus says it over and over to his disciples. Hey, do not fear because I am with you. And perfect love casts out fear. That means perfect love, the love of God, it takes fear and it says, get out of here. You have no place in the life of a Christian. The Bible tells us that love is one of the most important things that we can possibly have. In 1 Corinthians 13, chapter 2, um, it says, um, If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have, if I have faith that can move a mountain but I do not have love, I am nothing. That's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, if I can do all these great things, I can speak in tongues, I can have all these great spiritual powers, but if I don't possess love, then I have absolutely nothing. So Jesus is trying to tell you guys that love is one of the most important aspects of Christianity. Not just like, you know, fuzzy feeling love or being kind to people, but a genuine kind of love that's willing to lay down your life and sacrifice to reach people for the gospel. Um, Genuine love is a love that wants to see people meet Jesus. It's a love that looks at people and says, man, I cannot rest until I know that you meet Jesus. Um, This is something that I deal with a lot, just the struggle of it. But, you know, 
I don't know about you, but I go through my day a lot and I just look at people like they're obstacles. Like, I don't know if you ever feel that way, but like in the grocery store when people are in line in front of me, it's like, I'm not thinking about their souls. I'm thinking like, oh man, I wish there was less people in front of me in the line. Um, in Disneyland, I like don't care about the people in line in front of me. I wish they, like, it's like, I wish you guys were all dead so I can get to the, like, not really, but Gosh, no one laughed at that. I'm not serious. I don't really wish that they were. Yeah, I'm like, Lord, strike them down. No, not at all. But it's, you're just like, man, you, we only really care about ourselves all the time when we don't really think about other people. And what I've been struggling with is kind of going to the Lord and saying, Lord, break my heart for people. Like when I step out into the mall and, and when I go out and I'm walking the streets and I see people, help me to look at people, not just like, eh, whatever, I'm living my own life. Help my heart to break for people because without Christ, they're going to hell. In 1 John uh, verse 18, or 1 John chapter 4 verse 18, it says this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not love and has not been perfected in love. So what he's saying is, there's no fear in love. If we truly know who we are in Christ, if we truly know that we're daughters and sons of Christ, if we truly know that we're saved, if we truly know that we have a bulletproof soul, yes, someone can destroy the body, but they can't destroy the soul. If we know our identity as children of the king, then we're going to have this perfect love that completely gets rid of any fear. But when it comes to Muslims, I think a lot of times we deal with fear. And so I say, we need to ask ourselves where the fear is coming from. I think we fear the unknown. This is a picture of a bunch of Muslims praying. And I don't know about you, but I'm somebody who looks at a picture like this, and, and my initial reaction is kind of like, man, they're different than us. Like, man, they're the other. They're different. And, and, you know, I could look at a picture of a bunch of people in an American church praying, and I could be like, I could feel right at home. But because they're Muslims, there's just this weird, uneasy feeling that I get. You know, I think there's actually this line from Beauty and the Beast that summarizes the way that we feel. Maybe you guys know which one I'm referring to, but it's in that classic scene where, like, Gaston, it, he comes back, and he's like, let's kill the beast! And he's getting the townspeople all riled up, and they go into that mob song, and they say this. They say, we don't like what we don't understand. In fact, it scares us, and this monster is mysterious, at least. And so basically, because they don't understand the beast, they think he's going to come into their village and destroy all of them. And so they create kind of this character, this monster of him. Because, yeah, there are some scary things about the beast. He's big, and he's hairy, and he's tall, and he, he's not like them. And so they look at him, and they think he's a monster, and he's going to destroy us. And so to them, they're like, we have to destroy him. For us, I think we struggle with something called the fear of the other. Now, this is a picture of a bunch of Muslim men, and they're very angry at something. I don't know what they're angry at. Honestly, I have no idea, but they're, they're ticked off. There's a McDonald's in the background. So maybe they just ate at McDonald's, and they're mad about how bad it was. So we have here Muslim dudes, and they're angry. This is another picture that for me, and maybe for you, it gives me some uneasiness. I'm looking at it, and I'm like, man, this makes me uncomfortable, because what are they yelling? Like, what are these guys all about? Are they yelling death to America? Are they plotting our death? Um, and then I look at a picture like this, and I'm, I don't care. It's just a bunch of angry white people, and it's like, I feel right at home. I don't know what they're mad about. Um, they, they, maybe they ate at McDonald's, and they're mad at it, too. I have no idea, but what I'm trying to say is this picture doesn't disturb me. Uh, this other picture of the Muslim guys does. 
I think it's because much of our fear comes from easy thinking. And that means stereotypes. Stereotype to me says any good, anybody who's a Muslim is a terrorist. Anybody who's a Muslim is out to destroy me. And, and I have been guilty of that thinking growing up. When I grew up, I literally thought of every Muslim as like they're all bad, they're all terrorists, and they're all trying to kill me. That was my thought of them. Well, I just don't think that thinking is right because people are all complex individuals. We look at these guys, and I don't all lump them into the same category. They're all mad about something. I don't know what it is, but I don't want to stereotype them. For instance, this is a picture of one of the first scenes where we had school segregation being lifted. So it used to be black schools and white schools. Well, this girl was one of the first black kids to show up at an all-white school and kind of break that segregation. Um, It was President Dwight Eisenhower who lifted the ban on that. So he was like, all right, we can have black kids in white schools. Well, this poor girl, it's so sad, she actually showed up early. So she was supposed to have like 10 of her classmates with her. She shows up all by herself. So imagine like, you feel like everyone already hates you and now you're all alone. So she's walking to the school and this girl, her name is Hazel Bryan. Has anyone seen this picture in school? Have you guys seen this picture or like talked about it in any of your classes? So this girl, Hazel Bryan, is, she's, she's actually, she's only 13 years old and what she's screaming at this black girl is, go back to Africa. Well, here's what happened with this picture. Because of this picture getting circulated, The stereotype that happened in this town is everyone started to say that this town was full of racists. Actually, there was plenty of people there who were supportive of this happening, but because of Hazel Bryan and being captured in this angry picture, the entire town got stereotyped, and so people started to say everyone from that town is a racist. And that's not true. Not every Southerner is a racist. I know people in the South, and plenty of them are totally not racist. And I want to show you guys the truth of the reality is that not every Muslim is a terrorist. Um, There are people who are following a religion that's different than us, and that happens all over the world. We've got Buddhists, we've got Hindus, we've got Mormons, Jehovah's Witness. We have Muslims. One guy who kind of looks a little bit like your brother, Christian, I think. What do you think? Dan? (laughs) Maybe? Uh, is, is he a Muslim Christian? <laughs> no. Um, but not every single Muslim is a terrorist. And that's something that I struggle with because I have this deep-seated fear naturally that comes to me. And, and I have to trace it to the source. For me, um, the source of the fear is September 11th. That was the first time in my life where I saw an act of terrorism. I remember I was a very young kid, and I was at my house, and one day my parents told me something terrible happened, and we turned on the news, and we saw the picture of the Twin Towers, which uh, was this giant building in New York City, and it got these planes were hijacked by terrorists, Muslim terrorists, who flew the planes into the towers and brought them down and killed thousands upon thousands of people, if not millions. I, I'm not sure, but it was a lot of people, and I just remember, like, I was this kid sitting in my living room, and my heart was broken, and I was just like, I felt this feeling, hey, what's up? That chair, we saved it special for you. Boom. (laughs) We're talking about um, uh, reaching people who seem like they're unreachable, and tonight the subject is Muslims. That's what we're talking about tonight. Didn't want you to get lost, so. No, no problem. Glad you're here. So we're talking about September 11th. So I remember when I saw this, I felt a bunch of feelings. I felt sadness. I felt despair. I felt hopelessness. 
I felt like, oh my gosh, my country is under attack. Like people in my country have died. This is terrible. And then I remember feeling distinctly hatred. I started to hate Muslim people. I started to fear Muslim people. Um, My fear led to my hatred of them because I was afraid that they were going to do something again. And so I remember whenever we'd go in the airport, anytime I'd see anybody who had a beard and dark skin and a turban or anything like that, I would freak out. I'd be like, please, Jesus, please don't let them be on the plane with me. Like, please, that's not what I want. That's not what I want to happen. And I had this fear that lasted for a long time. For you guys, September 11th happened such a long time ago that this is kind of like the Titanic to you. Uh, But... But for you guys right now, ISIS is a very real deal. So this is happening all the time. You see it in the news. So the reality is we have some legitimate reasons to be afraid. There are some legitimate reasons where in our flesh, we could freak out and be afraid. For me, September 11th happened. It was this crazy thing where thousands of people died. For you guys and for myself, we see ISIS going after innocent people and Christians chopping off their head all around the Arab world. And it's, it's a sad thing. And what happens is we can give into that fear. We can look at stuff like this and we can just go, man, they're all terrorists. Like, I just wish God would destroy all of them. I've heard people talk this way. I've heard Christians talk this way. I just wish all the Muslims were gone. I wish God would just wipe them all out because I'm so afraid I don't want anything bad to happen to me. But I think we could learn a lot from the great theologian Yoda. Um, Yoda's great. And I'm going to say this in the Yoda voice. Um, you know, When I go to camps and I teach kids who don't know me and do voices, they're like, you're amazing. You guys have heard them so many times that you don't care. I'm just going to do it anyway. Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. And it's true. It's true, Yoda. Fear leads to hate. This is so profound. I love Star Wars and I love how deep it gets sometimes. Think about it. Fear is the path to the dark side. So fear leads us to a place where our life can be destroyed. We start out being afraid. That fear leads to anger. We get angry at the people that we're afraid of because they're shaking up our life and they're making it uncomfortable. That anger leads to hate. We start to hate other people. And that hate leads to suffering not only in the lives of our enemies, but the lives of our own selves. This is not the way of Jesus. Because, listen, when we want our enemies to suffer, when we hate our enemies, not only do we cause our enemies to suffer, but we cause our own lives to suffer. There's nothing good that can come from hate. Hate causes bitterness and destruction in our hearts. It eats away at us like a poison. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said if we hate someone, it's as bad as if we killed them. That's what he said. If you hate someone, it's like you killed them in your heart. Jesus offers another solution. Jesus says something much different. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's crazy how much I've honestly seen people downplay the Sermon on the Mount. I've talked to some older Christians in my lives, and I'm like, hey, we should pray for ISIS. And they're like, what are you talking about? That's crazy. We should pray that God kills them. And I'm like, no, like, we should pray that people get saved in there. And they're like, no, that's wrong. That's, that's not Christian. And I'm like, no, I think it is. Like, Sermon on the Mount, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And I've had older Christians be like, that's not what Jesus meant. I mean, he just, he just meant, like, you know, your neighbor who's mean to you. Like, not people trying to kill you. During the time Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, Israel was under Roman rule. What the Romans would do is any Israel that, or any Israelite that disobeyed orders, they would literally drag you out of your home, crucify you on a Roman cross, and then they would line 
the city walls with crucified bodies to send a message to everybody else. You're telling me that's not an enemy? These are the people Jesus are saying to love. Here's what Jesus says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. He says, But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, i.e. enemies of Christ, Christ died for us. He took those nails in his hand, even though we were enemies, even though we had nothing to offer them. Do you realize that because of our sin in God's eyes, we were no better than ISIS? In God's eyes, we were no better than Hitler. In God's eyes, because of our sin, before we knew Christ, and this is really hard for you guys like me to wrap your mind around when you grew up in a Christian home, but just try to try wrap your head around it. Without Jesus and the lives of our families, we were just as bad as anybody else. We were part of the problem. You know, when I saw the Twin Towers fall, I didn't think of Muslims as people. Honestly, I lumped them all together. And I didn't think of them as human beings. I just thought of them as the enemy. And you know what? It's the same on both sides. There's things that have happened in history where America has done things to Muslim countries. And maybe our country has said this was an act of us defending ourselves or taking out somebody before they could get us. But to the Muslims in those countries, they saw it as someone's dropping bombs on us and killing our families. And so there's many Muslim countries where they actually call us the great Satan. They say America is the great Satan, which doesn't mean that we're like a big devil with horns. It means the word Satan, Satan, for those of you guys who have been listening on Sundays, it just means enemy. So to us, we're the, to them, they view us as the great enemy, just like our country tends to view them that way as well. And what happens is what's called dehumanization. Hate dehumanizes. Now, I'm showing you guys a picture of Stormtroopers, another Star Wars reference. How many of you guys have ever watched a Star Wars movie um, before Finn? So you know Finn, the, the Stormtrooper who like actually got a part in a movie? So you know the earlier movies? How many of you guys ever watched a movie, a Star Wars movie, episodes 4, 5, and 6 with Han Solo and Luke Skywalker, and like a Stormtrooper got shot, and you were like, oh no, that poor Stormtrooper! He probably has, like, a wife and three kids. Poor guy. Stormtrooper. Like, no. You, you're like, I want them all to die. Die, die, die. Kill them, Han Solo. Like, that's what we think. That's called dehumanization. And that's why a lot of times when you play video games, all the enemies look the same. They have no faces. They all are clumped together. That's why you look at a Stormtrooper. You're not like, this is Jeff, and he likes to play croquet. This is Bob. He's got a scrapbooking collection. This guy raises goats. His name's Jim. You don't feel that that way you're just like they are all lumped together in one big group called the enemy that's called dehumanization that's why in our video games like the the bad guys genuinely don't have features they're just the, they all look the same this is what we do a lot of times to muslims there have been some terribly wicked people who've killed people in the name of the muslim god terrorists who've done horrible, horrible, wicked things. But we, at least if you're like me, I mean, maybe you guys are like more progressed in your thinking than I was at your age. But when I was your age, I thought of them all as the enemy. They all were bad. They all were out to get me. And I didn't realize that they were people made in the image of God. And so so what I want to do is I want to show you guys a quick video of just people who are Muslims, because I want you guys to see that not all of these guys are planning on killing us. And when we get to that point, we can talk about then where do we go from there and how do we love them. So here's a quick video. What's the weirdest thing you've been asked about being Muslim? Do I worship a moon god? Like, like I, like, like, 
<laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. What's a mosque? What do you guys really do in there? The weirdest question is if I'm planning to blow anything up. Why are you guys like that? Why don't Muslims denounce terrorism? Aren't you hot? Are you circumcised? I do denounce terrorism. Really? You guys can laugh? You guys can smile? Oh. A Muslim is a great many things, depending on your perspective. Muslim is the word we use to label people that follow the Islamic religion. And believes in the oneness of God. And that Muhammad is his messenger. That's really all that it is. There's no secret handshake. You don't have to run through a gauntlet. Things like not cheating, not stealing, not killing, not hurting folks are principle to the faith. We can't eat pork. There's no pork on my fork, no swine on my mind. A practicing Muslim prays five times a day. Not jiggy with the piggy. I'm not aching for the bacon. Every chapter in Quran except one starts with God is merciful. God is compassionate. Compassion, mercy. These were the two concepts. I'm not hostage to the sausage. There's a lot of these phrases. I think the question of what is a Muslim 100% cannot be answered. We're talking about over a billion people. People think a Muslim is traditionally, based someone looks like me with a beard, maybe not as much swag because that's unique to me, but Muslims come from all different walks of life. A Muslim is anyone who says he's a Muslim. There's all levels of Muslims. That includes, you know, the secular Muslim who eats BLTs and washes it down with a glass of Pinot. There are some that are very devout and practicing, and there are some that are not, just like with every other faith. Nobody in Islam gets to say who is and who is not a Muslim. God is the one who determines that. We don't have a Muslim Pope, although it'd be cool if we did, and I think it should be me. If you really want to break down the Arabic word, it literally means the one who submits. To God. To peace. A great majority of us are just ordinary, boring people. You know, schmucks like us. But what do I know? I'm just one Muslim out of 1.7 billion Muslims. All right. So I thought that video was cool, not in the sense that I'm watching it and I'm like, oh, I want to go be a Muslim now because that seems so great. For me, I know the truth of Christianity, but... I think it's important to humanize people, especially people that maybe you've looked at as enemies, because the reality is we need to see people as they really are, loved by God. You see, people are made in the image of God. All people, Muslims, Buddhists, Jehovah's Witnesses, like all different religions, even terrorists, people are made in the image of God, and they are all loved by God. That's the thing that's blown my mind as a believer, is knowing that God loved Hitler. Because it's like, there's gotta be a point where God's just like, you know what? My grace is cut off now. Like, you have no access. Like, you've done enough. You've done, like, you've, you've done too many wrong things that now I'm gonna cut you off. But that's not the way God operates. God loves everybody. And I believe that if Hitler would have truly turned to Christ, God would have forgiven him. I don't think that he did. But that's how great and big God's grace is. We serve this amazing God. And I think I want to give you guys some important rules for how to deal with people. And I was going to talk about this, and we'll, we'll rehash this when we talk about homosexuality and transgender. Um, but we have a tendency, whether it's Muslims or homosexuals or transgenders, or anyone that, as a Christian, we grow up thinking, they're the sinners. They're the bad ones. Like, when we think of them that way, we have a tendency to dehumanize them, and, and we don't really think of them as people God loves and people God is trying to save. And I think that's very unfortunate. So here's a couple rules regarding the image of God. When you guys are dealing with anybody that you struggle with, think about people in your school right now where you're like, man, 
I don't like that guy. Think about people in your neighborhood, people in your family. We're like, man, they've really hurt me. They've really messed things up for me. People that you know, and, and or maybe it's people you see on the news, or maybe it's people who are part of certain groups, and you just you look down on them, and you're like, man, I don't love them. I don't really care about them. Muslims, for me at least as a Christian, fall into that group at times. Answer these questions when you think about these people. Answer question number one, is this a human? Is this a human? That's where you start. Question number two, whose image are humans made in? So question number one, is is this a human? On the screen right now, this Muslim girl, is this a human? Yeah? Whose image is she made in? Anybody? God's. Yahweh's. She's made in the image of God. The third question is, does this person deserve love? Now, we as humans have... We're really fickle in nature and we're really judgmental and we have a way of looking at people who we view as the other or people who are sinners or people who are different or people who are lost and we feel like they're irredeemable and we kind of make the choice of saying, well, they don't deserve love. Only certain people deserve love. Only, uh, you know, uh, the people who are like me, the people who make me feel comfortable, the people I like to hang out with, my crowd, my crew, they deserve love. These other people, no, they, they don't deserve love. We might look down on them and judge them. And, and what I mean by is when I say, do they deserve love? Do they deserve you to give them the time of day? Do they deserve you to reach out to them and tell them about Christ? A lot of times, even if we might say, yeah, they do, we don't show that by our actions. Um, so I'm going to show you guys a couple pictures side by side, and I want to go through those questions, okay? So here is a picture of an angry Muslim man. Um, he was given the name um, with uh, kind of in the meme world. His name is Islamic Rage Boy. So there's all these different memes of this guy with crazy, like, death to America and just different things in, in the memes where people use his picture. So we look at him and we ask the question, is this a human? Well, yeah. Whose image is this human made in? I guess Yahweh's, God's? And then does this person deserve love? My initial reaction is kind of like, I don't know. Like, he looks like he's up to no good. He looks like he's yelling some crazy thing. Like, I don't really know if I feel like he deserves love. Well, then we pull up this picture and we can ask the same questions. Is this a human? Yeah. And, and our natural reaction to this picture of this adorable little girl is like, oh, she's holding a Quran, but like, she's so sweet. Like, she would never do anything bad. Um, is, who is this human maiden? What image? Yahweh is God. She's adorable. Does this person deserve love? Yeah, who cares? If she's a Muslim girl. I'll just scoop her up. So, so we have a tendency to look at something like this. It's kind, of like, it's kind of like how people are like, you know how people who are like environmentalists are like, save the whales, save the dolphins. But then you're like, what about the sardines? And they're like, who cares? Those sardines are the worst. They can die. It's because we want to give value to things that we feel are beautiful. Anything that's different or other, we have the tendency to go, oh, that person deserves love, but that person doesn't. Let me tell you about this picture. So this is Islamic Rage Boy. That's the name he was given by the internet meme trolls. But his real name is Shaquille Ahmad Bhatt. He grew up during the time of war between India and Pakistan in his neighborhood, and he saw his sister killed by Indian police. And it affected him so deeply that he became a political activist in his country. And basically, his mission is to try to fight police brutality. So he protests against police brutality because that's what killed his sister. And he fights the sexual exploitation of young girls. So he's thinking of his sister and just how she died. And he's like, man, I want to help little girls because I couldn't save my sister. I want to help other girls who've been through things. 
And so really, I mean, we look at this guy and when we hear that, we're like, oh, now my whole view has changed. I thought he was a terrorist trying to blow me up, but really he's a good guy, like fighting for justice in his country. So yes, he deserves love, but that's not God's criteria. We can't choose who gets love based on whether or not they earned it or they deserve it. The reality is, even if this was a really, really bad guy, God would say, he's made in my image. I love him. Therefore, he deserves love from my followers. If you say no, if you, if you have in your heart the tendency to look at people based on what they've done wrong and say, they don't deserve me to pray for them, that God would save them. They don't deserve me to give them a helping hand. If you say no to those things, consider, Jesus said, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And the gospel is about Jesus dying for his enemies. And the Bible says that we were once God's enemies. I think it's important that we need to refuse to see people as stereotypes. Jesus tells this awesome story in the gospels about the good Samaritan. You guys have all heard that story, but I'm just going to go through it really quick. I think it's amazing. So Jesus is talking about this Jewish man who's on the road And he gets attacked by two robbers. They beat the crap out of him, and they leave him lying in a ditch. And a pastor comes by, and the pastor looks at him, and the man's like, please help me, I'm crippled, I can't move. And the pastor's like, not my job. And then a priest comes by, and the priest looks down, and the man's like, please, I'm suffering. And the priest is like, oh, you're dirty, you're filthy, I don't want anything to do with you. And then a Samaritan comes along. Now, Samaritans were the enemies of the Jews. The Jews and the Samaritans hated one another. They basically looked at one another, and they didn't pray for one another. They actually were like, that person's going to hell. In fact, they're the firewood of hell. That was what they called one another. Like, you're the reason the flames of hell keep going, because God just keeps chucking you guys in the furnace. That's how they felt about them. Well, this Samaritan sees this Jew, and even though they're bitter enemies, he has compassion on him, and he says, you know what? Get on my donkey, and and I am going to take you to the hotel, the inn. I'm going to pay for your room. I'm going to make sure you get taken care of. I'm going to make sure you get healed. And he takes care of him. And I just think it's this awesome story. Jesus wasn't just trying to tell this nice little feel-good story. Jesus was trying to show us what God did for us. We were enemies towards God, and yet God brought himself down to earth when no one else would help us, when no one else would save us, when we were trapped in our own sins, enemies of God. God became a man and died on the cross and bled and died, not just for us here as Christians in America. And I'm not saying that as anything against America. I love our country. What I'm saying is we have tunnel vision, and we tend to just think of people in our own town and own school when God's vision for the gospel is global. He cares about people all over the world. How often do we think about people who normally we might lay enemies that God cares about? How often do we take time in our week to pray for our enemies locally, enemies in our school, and globally? If I'm honest, I need to do it a lot more. Because when I do that, I'm lining myself up with God's vision of saving the world. It's the Good Samaritan story. See, Honestly, guys, I am honestly coming to you guys from a perspective of a past that is extremely judgmental. And I'm just honest, like literally, I used to think of these people as trash. Um, They were just a joke to me. Um, I made a video. I'm just going to show you guys a quick second because it's really loud and annoying. But when I was a kid, um, I, for one of my classes, made this video of these puppets playing terrorists. And they were like singing about blowing people up. I honestly were like, all Muslims are terrorists and it's all their jokes. So here's just a quick, I'm embarrassed by this, just so you know. Like, you're going to laugh because it's stupid, but I think it's horrendous. So...
Yeah, so terrible. Like, that was like a five-minute video of Muslims singing about blowing up people. And I thought it was so funny at the time, honestly. And I've seen some of you guys uh, share those vines back when Vine was around of, like, Muslims yelling Allah Akbar and, like, blowing things up. Um, and you're laughing because you think it's funny. Uh, but I'm telling you, as someone who used to think that way, it's not funny. It's not funny to make fun of people who cause pain and death around the world. And, and when we make those jokes, just like I was telling some of you guys last week about homosexuality, when I was growing up, it, we, everyone thought it was so funny to make fun of gay people and call people, be, uh, call, not call people bay, uh, to call people gay. We thought it was so funny to put people down that way. And it really messes with people. Um, to make fun of Muslims, what it does is it hardens your heart against them, and it takes away your ability to have compassion for them. And I know sometimes it's hard to give up our certain humor because we love our jokes, but I want to encourage you guys, give up any humor that causes you to see other people as inhuman. Um, and that's something that I struggled with. And we, we all deal with prejudice. We all really do. Everyone in here has some sort of prejudice. We're all born with it. It's part of our sinful nature. And we have prejudice based on the things that we've heard from the people around us, the things we've seen on TV. And we have prejudices that go against the gospel. Um, for instance, this man is not a terrorist. He is not even a Muslim. This is actually a man who's a part of a religion from India called the Sikh religion. Um, everyone thinks that they're Muslims, and so the Sikhs who are in America actually face a lot of persecution from people thinking that they're these really scary Muslims because Sikhs usually wear turbans and grow their beards out really huge, and if you're an American, you usually associate Muslims who have big beards and turbans as those guys are the really intense ones who are going to blow us all up. These guys are all about like peacefulness. Like they're just that's their religion, but they deal with prejudice, and we all deal with that. We all have prejudice. This man, um, th- this guy, it, it's this Muslim guy, right? And he's standing there, he's holding the Quran, and he's got this dynamite vest on, and he's about to go blow something up. Actually, it was just a dude holding an iPad, taking a selfie, and somebody photoshopped this and sent it to the news. And so this poor guy, who's a, he's also a Sikh, not a Muslim, he's a Sikh, it got plastered all over the news that this guy was going to blow people up and kill them. And so when we only think of Muslims in this way, when we don't think of them as human, all we do is just think of ways to think of them as the enemy. And that's what I'm trying to show you guys. Imagine this. Like, imagine that... I want you guys to all imagine for a second that you guys didn't know anything about Christianity, okay? Imagine that you're completely not Christians. You haven't heard anything about Christianity. So what if I came up to you and I was like, oh yeah, Christianity, let me tell you about Christianity. So in the Bible, there's this story about how King Saul and uh, the Israelites get commanded by God to kill all of these people called the Amalekites, men, women, and children. And and also, let me tell you another thing about Christianity. Um, So there was this guy named John Calvin, and uh, he was really big into this thing called Calvinism. And there was this other guy named Servetus, and he actually disagreed with him, so John Calvin had him burned at the stake. Pretty cool, huh? And then there, there was also this time in the medieval ages where a bunch of Christians got together and went on this crusade. It was called a crusade, and they went into a town, and they killed a bunch of Muslims. Uh, and that went on for a long time, the crusades. It was these wars where Muslims were, or Christians were killing Muslims. And then also, let me tell you about, uh, there was this guy named Eric Robert Rudolph who blew up an abortion clinic and killed two people and injured over 120 people because he felt like the abortion clinic went against his Christian beliefs, so he thought he should blow people up. So if you didn't know anything about Christianity, and I showed you those four stories, what would you think about Christians? Anybody? Yeah. Would you think that they were terrorists? 
Would you think they were terrible people? You would, right? Are you, are you with me? Anybody? Yeah, absolutely. We would think Christians are the worst. All those things happened. Those, they were Christians who killed people. There are Christians who did not follow the way of Jesus, claimed to be Christians, and did horrible, atrocious things throughout history, but they don't represent all of us. Do they represent you? No. And so I say the same thing. Just because there are Muslims who've been terrible people and done terrible things, that doesn't represent all Muslims. Some of them are very peaceful. A lot of them really are. A great majority of them are. And so even though there are terrible, horrible terrorist things going on throughout the world, we can't look at all Muslims that way. We have to think of all of them as these people need Jesus and I want to be somebody, and this is something I'm working on in my own life, but I want to be somebody where I want to be ready, where if God puts a Muslim in my path, I want to be able to just love on them and tell them about Jesus, whether they're a peaceful Muslim or not a peaceful Muslim that could kill me for telling them about Jesus, which could happen. I want to be prepared for either one. I think a great way that we can work on this is we should learn as much as we can about others. And this goes with any other religion. I really want to encourage you guys. You guys are the future of the church. Don't just think of your Christian life as God just wants to bless me and give me a nice house and give me a nice wife and a nice kid and bless my business and and give me financial security. Don't just think of your life that way. Remember that your mission is to preach the gospel to the world. That's what you're called to do. And so when you look at your world, I think you guys should pray and ask God, Lord, who do you want me, like, who am I going to witness to? Like, who do you want to prepare me for? Are there people in my life who are part of other religions? Like, I actually know a guy who God put it on his heart to, like, really study about Mormons. And he's like, I don't know why, but I'm just going to study about Mormons. And so he studied and studied and studied. And then God called him to Utah, and he ended up planting a church in Utah, which is where there's tons of Mormons. And so God prepared him for that. I wonder, is God maybe even tonight stirring something in you guys where God's going to use maybe one of you guys or multiple people in this room to reach Muslims for the gospel? We need to learn as much as we can about people. Um, me personally, I've been learning about Islam and, and, and the history of it, not because I'm, I want to like become a Muslim, but because I want to understand. Because there's nothing worse when you're talking to somebody from another religion and you're trying to explain Jesus and you know nothing about their religion. That's the crazy thing. I've talked to Muslims before, um, and I know my wife, Brooklyn's gone through the same thing. She once got into a discussion with some Muslims, and they knew a bunch about Christianity, but she didn't know anything about the Muslim religion. And I've been in that same place, and it's so frustrating because you want to share Jesus with them, but you can't get past that barrier. I think it's important for us to learn. So I'm going to show you guys a quick video from um, the uh, One Minute Apologist that talks about how we witness to a Muslim person, and it just lays out some really good groundwork. So here we go. Welcome to the One Minute Apologist. Apologist. Apologetics seeks to give credible answers to curious questions, to give a defense. How to witness to a Muslim. Perhaps you're in a situation where you have a friend that you work with, a neighbor, or an associate who's a Muslim, and maybe you feel handcuffed when it comes to conversing with a Muslim. Let me share with you some tips that you can use to engage Muslims to help them effectively understand the gospel and so that you can also shine for Jesus while sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Some of the tips are as follows. I would say first and foremost, pray for opportunities to reach out to Muslims. Second, continue to learn about their religion. This shows that you care what they believe as well. Don't assume that every Muslim is a radical. They're not. 
understand how to articulate the Christian view of the Trinity. This is important because many Muslims will believe that you are a tritheist believing in three gods. Understand how to explain the two natures of Christ. We believe that Jesus is one person with two natures, a divine nature and a human nature. And we need to be ready to answer that. Stress grace when sharing the gospel. Furthermore, joyfully discuss your personal relationship with Christ. The idea of a relationship to a Muslim will be exciting, hopefully, in the fact that they can actually know this God of grace. Be patient and process with them over time. Don't expect them to believe instantly. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Be able to share the trustworthiness of Scripture and be ready for them to attack the Scriptures. Be firm, but avoid being argumentative. Don't be afraid to say, I don't know, but I will find out. Also, help them to understand the difference between America and Christianity. Many Muslims tend to think that everybody in America is a Christian, and we need to let them know that a Christian is one who is a follower of Christ. And if they do become Christians, understand what it may cost them and be prepared to walk them through it. A couple more. Be careful about speaking to the opposite sex when speaking to Muslims. You know that they're very, very conservative in their approach to guys talking to girls, and we need to be careful there. And then finally, respectfully handle your Bible. In the Islamic culture, one of the things that's important for us to realize is they will put their Quran up on the highest shelf. In fact, the thought of, of a Christian writing in their Bible just seems disgraceful to them. They can't imagine writing in the Quran. So handle your Bible with care. Those are a few tips. Hopefully they'll help you. God bless you in your endeavors. So the last thing I want to talk to you guys about before we wrap up is just this idea. I thought that video was great. And it, it leads me to this. We need to overall have compassion, courage, and love. Because I really believe God is calling you guys as a generation that's going to reach the world. Like people who aren't going to be content to just live the typical life. But like I really think that there's going to be kids in this group, students in this group, who are going to grow up to be missionaries in crazy places that are even crazier than places that I've been as a missionary. Uh, and I'm just so excited for that, to see what you guys are going to do around the world, not only around the world, but here in this country. God's going to use you guys in a great way if you guys submit your lives to him. That doesn't mean you all have to work in a church, but it does mean that you're all called to serve Jesus and live your life for the gospel. And here's the reality. So there's really two different types of Muslims that you're going to deal with in the world. Remember the earlier video we watched where they were like, we're all normal people. Um, so those were mostly American and British Muslims. And so they've grown up under democracies. And so they're in countries that are free. And so I don't know if you noticed, but you know, they, were, they were a lot like us in the way they dressed and looked. So for them, their, their Muslimness was really a part of just their faith. It was part of um, their religion. And so they practice their religion. And there's probably Muslims who are really hardcore um, in their faith and they, they do all the prayers and they keep all the commandments. And then there's some who are like, you guys know, Christians who just say that they're Muslim and then don't really go to the church or do any of the things just like we have. So there's people like that. But then there's also people in foreign countries, especially in the Middle East. And life really is much different for them. You see, um, 
in those Middle Eastern countries, they do deal with terrorism constantly. Um, their countries are usually constantly at war with other countries. Um, they live in poverty very often. Right now, we have Muslims in Syria who are being driven out by ISIS as well as Mus- our Christians in Syria. Um, people who are very poor and, and people who deal with a lot of hard things. And here's the crazy thing. I've been hearing about this all over the place. Um, and this has been going on since I was a kid and even before. But Jesus is reaching these people. There are thousands upon thousands of Muslims who've been coming to Christ because they've been seeing him in visions and because of missionaries brave enough to go over there, they've been leaving their Muslim faith. But here's the problem. For people in those countries, it's different than here in America and in England. And people in those countries, a lot of times, if you are a Muslim and you decide to become a Christian, you can be killed by your family. Your family can, it's called honor shame killing, and and they can basically take you outside and stone you um, because they feel like you've abandoned what their family stands for. And there's a lot of abusive wrong things that are going on. And so there's young, not just young, but there's Muslim people who are trying to come to Christ, but things are very difficult for them. And so just keep that in mind. When you're thinking of Muslims and you want to just immediately think of angry people who are terrorists trying to kill you, yes, that is a small percentage of them, but also think about the many people who are trapped in a false religion wanting to come to Christ, but facing that fear of, if I do, I could lose everything. For us, coming to Christ means, oh man, I lose an hour on Sunday and Wednesday and I have to try to like not do bad things as much as I normally do. For them, it's like I could lose my life. And so we need to have compassion and courage to pray for them and really consider, is God calling me in some way to witness to them? Is God calling me in my school to seek out Muslims at my public school and try to become friends with them and try to just talk with them and share with them and try to lead them to Christ through my friendship? Is God calling me to specifically research and find out what's going on in these Middle Eastern countries so that I can pray for them. There's so many YouTube videos you guys could look up that show you what are going on in these countries. And so many times we don't want to find out because we're just focused on what's going on in our own life. I'd encourage you, find out what's going on with the persecuted church. Like you have so much access to media that me and Aaron and and Eric and all these other counselors, we didn't have that at your age. You guys have so much access to what's going on. Just go on YouTube and like look up persecuted church in Afghanistan or or Syria or these things and watch some of those videos and let your heart break and pray for what's going on. Um, There are Christian missionaries who are over in these countries doing radical work. Actually, there's a guy named Victor Marks um, who used to be the junior high pastor at our church like many, many years ago. And now he's this... He's this crazy ex-Marine, and he is going to those countries leading teams of people to win people to Christ. And it's, it, You can find out what he's doing, too. It's amazing. Um, the last thing I want to leave you guys with is um, just this verse, which is, um, this is important to remember. When you're thinking of other people, remember that there is no, oh, sorry, I already did this verse. Scratch that verse. I'm going to read you guys this verse. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. What that means is love is willing to believe in people. It's willing to not judge people by their sin, but to believe that God wants to save them and to believe that they have potential to be amazing Christians. And if you start viewing people, especially think again to people in your school who you really don't get along with, if you start thinking, I believe that God can do amazing things in that person's life if they submit and I want to pray for them. 
I mean, we can, we, can do, we can change things in our schools and in our worlds if we submit to the Lord in that way. So the last thing I'll leave you guys with is just this quick video of this girl explaining her testimony of how she came out of the Muslim faith and ended up following Jesus. I was born into a Muslim family. Um, my parents were leaders in the mosque, and I met these two Christians at my grad school. We just realized, okay, we definitely are both very strong in our faiths, but we can't both be right. We can both be wrong. Like, logically, in my mind, it's like, okay, we can both be wrong about Jesus, for sure, but we can't both be right. So we sort of resolved that we wanted to figure out what truth is. And secretly, secretly, I wanted to convert him massively. I totally wanted to convert him to Islam because anytime I would debate anybody about, you know, religion, I would always win. <laughs> and so he gave me a Bible. I gave him a Quran and we started to just sort of do our own research. And I would come with my bullet points and he would come with his. And um, truth be told, you know, since I was you know, uh, an American Muslim being surrounded by non-Muslims, of course, I knew exactly what I believed, why, and had all the arguments. Even though I had felt that I had succeeded in showing him that Christianity was flawed and that Islam was true, I didn't have that satisfaction. I wanted some sort of proof for the first time in my life. And so I just continued to pray, continued to pray. And, um, you know, I would fast and I would just cry out night and day to God, to Allah, the only God that I knew, to show people that he was the truth. I started to just really have a lot of torment. I just thought maybe I was going crazy for the first time, but it was like I couldn't think anymore. And especially as somebody studying to be a doctor and you know, science background, to lose your mind is really a very low point to say the least. So there was one day uh, where I was probably at my lowest point. I was just crying, praying to Allah and saying, I can't do this one more day. And that same day, I got a text message from my friend. He had been praying for me all along and his church actually had been praying too down south. And he, his pastor actually had brought um, or had typed up bullet points from the book by Lee Strobel called The Case for Christ. And so because I was such a, at such a low point at that point, I was like, I'll read anything, why not? It gave so much significant proof for the historicity of the cross and resurrection. And I started to read the Bible again. I was reading it as though it actually could have happened. And I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, this is beautiful. And then I called somebody that I knew who was a Christian. She said, why don't you just ask Jesus to come into your heart? If you're wondering and curious, you have nothing to lose. And, you know, little did she know if a Muslim asks Jesus into their heart, it's hell for eternity, no coming back. You cannot come back from that. So I just looked up at the heavens and I said, Allah, I don't know who, you're, who you are. Allah, I don't know what's real. Whoever you are though, I want to give my life to you. If you're Jesus, you can come into my heart. The next morning I woke up and all the torment was gone. So I thought to myself, okay, logic brain, I'll just, I'm gonna really give this exploration of the gospels three or four years of my life and I'm gonna really like look into it to see if it's real. I'm gonna stay a Muslim, of course. I would never leave Islam, but I just wanna give this a chance. And so I just basically went to church that Sunday and some signs had happened that week, all pointing to Jesus. And that Sunday morning, the pastor was preaching and people were raising their hands and I just kind of sat through it. 
But my heart just wanted to worship. And when the altar call came, we all bowed our heads. And the pastor just said, I feel like there's someone in here that wants to give their life to Jesus, but they don't even know what that means. And they're really scared. And I just said, enough is enough. It's taking me more faith to not believe in Jesus than to believe in Him. He's my first experience with love.